philosophy with life. Uh, long time ago, someone put this bug in my ear that said, "Look, if you love what you do, uh, that's all you need. You, you turn what you love to do into your job. It may be a little hard. It may take a long time, but persistence actually pays off. And I feel like you know today." With what I'm doing in this company, all the skills that I've ever acquired without asking have been uh, are now being utilized to build this whole company. I think that when people hear someone else's story, it helps them identify who they are, and I'd like to make that connection with people. All right, welcome to Vermont One of the podcast episode two. Elevate the state. This is your host Eli Harrington. And who you just heard was the very inspirational Michael Bork. Michael is our special guest for this second episode. We get to do an extended interview with him, so thank you again to Michael. If you have not heard of the Canacorp company or the Canacloud vaporizer, you need to check it out. It's been all over the Boston Globe. It's been in Tech Insider. It's been in Forbes. It's been in every single cannabis media outlet. There's a video on Facebook with over 3 million views. Uh, so it was really cool to talk to Michael about some of his personal experiences, his journey as an entrepreneur, also his journey into cannabis. Somebody who did not find it until later in life, um, came at it through a medical angle, and ended up now being the head of a company that I think is going to be extremely successful. And if I had to bet, probably one of the first billion-dollar cannabis companies that we're going to see in the country by 2020. And as you'll shortly hear, that did not happen by accident. A lot of different factors come together. <laughs> They're a lot more complicated than, man, the, the curing for weed. I wish I had thought of that. That's so simple. But as you will learn, it is not so simple and a lot more personal. So very cool story. I can't wait to get into it. Before we get into that, a quick thank you to Hedy Vermont, our main sponsor. We got some great new original content out there. A recap of a most recent Women's Grow event, huge success in Essex. It is Hemp History Week also, so check out HeddyVermont.com. Follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, at HeddyVermont. Also, a thank you to Little Bay Cabins in Jamaica. Book, book, book. That's Jamaica the country, not Jamaica the town in southern Vermont. Shout out to Route 30, though. So uh, thank you, LittleBayCabins.com. Check them out, www.LittleBayCabins.com. Running some travel specials at VermontAwana.com slash travel. So check them out there. Thank you again. Without further ado, let's get into the interview with Michael Bork. Well, you know, it's about everybody's journey. If I talk to people, as I'm sure we'll get into our interview, everybody has a journey of how they got into marijuana. And it is, it's usually when they meet someone, they read something, or they find a product that works finally, right? And for me, you know, marijuana was confusing because everybody up to that point had been telling me that it was this, it was that. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not just, I don't know how to believe everybody. I think that's a great way to start in talking about, you know, your background as as it relates to cannabis. I know that I've read up your, you know, you're you're an MIT product development, you know, very impressive scientist who I'm sure you had encountered marijuana in your life in college or after or whenever. Well, I didn't go to college. Oh, really? Yeah. So the story is, it, even though you you hit on the right things, it isn't really the. Uh, the traditional way that uh, so yeah I grew up poor my I didn't I, my parents could not afford uh, to go to I could not afford college my dad said pay attention I can't pay for college but I want you to pay attention so since since I was very young I was very curious about the world and my college probably could have done me well but uh, but no I didn't go to college I went to a vocational school and I had one of these creative minds I was always asking questions as a kid and taking things apart. I was known for that stuff. My brother was a, you know, I wasn't looking forward to school. School to me was a little boring. And when I got to be, to go into high school, uh, I found about found out about this thing called vocational school. And this is really a trade school. And I was good with my hands. I could make things. When something broke in our family, we'd go down to the basement and make a new one out of wood. Sure. So that's just the way I was. And, and when I went through that program, I learned how to make things. I became a machinist. I became a very, very good, skilled machinist. I learned the trades. I learned how to respect uh, uh, an adult as a mentor. I, uh, I came to respect the safety of equipment that you use. So not even getting into the cannabis part yet, just as an entrepreneur and as an inventor, here's an interesting background mix, right? We've got somebody who's got some technical skills, good with their hand, is creative, but non-traditional approach. 
So now let's add in another X factor that's going to play a huge part in Michael's career. So I saved up all my money. I got a job at a bike shop. I saved up all my money, and I bought a, like a, a, a computer. And I remember the day I plugged it in, it just showed like a, a C prompt. Uh, and you had to like write your own program as far to do anything. It was amazing. And I, I just, that's who I am. I like to learn how to, how things work by taking them apart and exploring. I taught myself how to program that computer. And then one day I realized, wait a minute, the computer and these machine tools that I was learning to run, they actually work together. There's a, there's a technology I didn't even, I wasn't even aware of called CNC. This is where computers drive you know, robotic um, milling equipment. Wow. So you could like automate what you used to do by hand. This blew my mind. This is like me learning about 3D printers now, right? But 30, 30 years ago. Because when a young kid learns that they can make something, like when you can get the idea out of your head into the hands of a machine and make it and show it to someone, well, then you can go anywhere. So I just love that. And that's where I spent a lot of my years learning about things, asking questions. But then when I graduated high school, well, you know, all the really great jobs weren't, weren't in America anymore. We sold those jobs off to, uh, to NAFTA, to, to you know, different parts of the world. And so, you know, to get a really good, high-quality paying job, which is what I was after, uh, was really tough. I asked my, my teacher if he could uh, cut me a break, and he got me a job at a place he used to work, which was MIT, like a laboratory. Uh, this place was in Lexington, Hanscom Air Force Base, and they did all scientific research work. It was amazing. This is like a huge research facility, had to have a top secret clearance to, to get into the building. And they had some of the highest end machine tools I've ever seen. And I just loved it. I went in there as a scrawny, skinny kid with long hair, and I could outsmart all those old machinists and tool makers that were working there. I was really good with computers, and everyone else had just been trying to learn how to use the computer. So here's an update. We've got somebody who had some technical manufacturing skills, learning how to use the machines, but then being a young person who was handy with technology, learning how to use computers at a time when automation and design via computers is about to totally change how people make things all over the world. And you're in the Lincoln Lab, one of the most advanced research labs in the world. But, uh... I had to get through the union. The union kind of stops your progress. You have to wait in line and to get a promotion. But uh, I, I went into the boss's, uh, my manager's office, my manager's office, and I, I said to him, I was bored. I wanted some really, really challenging work. And he says, well, you know, you're not, uh, you know, you're not a skilled enough machinist. You have to go up through the ranks, buddy. I said, well, I'm telling you, I'm smarter than those guys. They're pissing me off. Give me a project that you would normally like wouldn't give to anybody because it's way too complicated. And so he kind of, uh, he was kind of a, being a, he thought he was being a jerk, but he actually gave me a really, really complicated thing to work on. And I, re I remember telling my wife at the time, I was just, uh, I had two children at the time. Wow. It was really complicated. And it took me three or four weeks, but I did it. And it just raised eyebrows. And not only that, you know, I actually made some mistakes, but when you see someone working really hard at something, you, you can't stand back and, and, and knock them. So just by being a good guy and just trying to, you know, show my strengths, I was able to get that project done. And, they, and the management sort of took notice of me. And what happened was I started eating lunch with some of the managers, the people who programmed the computers, all the fancy equipment upstairs, all the lab robots and the computer equipment that was, you know, programming these machine tools. I started eating lunch with these people. I'm fascinated with older people. So I sit down with this guy, and I, I remember asking this guy, Tony, who programs one of these machines, I said, hey, Tony, would you mind showing me how to run that CAD system? He mm. said, you really want to learn that, Mike? I said, well, actually, I do. Yeah, I mean, do you think you could show me? Maybe if we stayed late one night, you could give me some pointers? He said, yeah, I'll do that, Mike. So he started teaching me, and I showed genuine interest. It was fascinating. And before you know it, I mean, I was Tony and I were there late at night. So if we're thinking about the Canacorp story and Michael's story, I've got the montage music playing underneath because we've learned a little bit about him as a character, his background, someone who is poor but very much creative, somebody who's very bright, good with her hands, technically skilled, ambitious and motivated, uh, who goes through a different route, vocational school, gets a job at the Lincoln Lab, a great break, is able to connect with a tutor and a mentor and somebody who's going to help him 
use this technology and work his way up. He spends all this time proving himself, and this is the montage, this is Michael's decade plus in this professional world. Um, what's really interesting in this part of the story is that, where's cannabis come in, right? Michael is not somebody who came to found Canacorp because he was a cannabis user and was familiar. He's a professional, he's an inventor, he's an innovator who saw a problem in how cannabis was working. And at least through his own personal experiences thought, here's how I can change something. If I had this experience, other people might as well. Let's go to work on it. So let's learn more about how Michael encountered cannabis for the first time in his 40s and how he took that experience to develop this product. So I want to back up and think about how you got from your position to as somebody who I, I believe was not familiar with, with cannabis, wasn't a, you know, wasn't somebody who smoked or partook before to becoming familiar with this, with this amazing plant and then identifying this need and from there developing this, developing this amazing product. Yeah, great question. I'd love to answer this too. And it's, uh, I think it helps a lot of people to learn. But, you know, I never smoked marijuana until a few years ago, and it was under the advice of a doctor. So, you know, all these years of me working at MIT and then the software company, TDC, I never touched marijuana. I didn't need it. I was, I, I just was, I always felt good, but, but I was reaching a particular point in my life where I was, I was just overstressed and had some anxiety, and I, over the advice of someone else, I found myself talking to a doctor. And when I talked to my, my, uh, my regular doctor about marijuana, she shut me down right away. She would not talk about it. I mean, she, I might as well mention heroin to her. Oh, my, yeah. She just, I mean, I felt so uncomfortable with her reaction and the look on her face. And, uh, and I, you know, I, I called it cannabis. I didn't even call it marijuana. I made it easy for her. So I didn't like that. And it made me start to wonder, you know, I think that your doctor really should be willing to have a conversation with you about anything. It shouldn't be uncomfortable. And so I decided, I asked my wife if we could find a new doctor and, we did. We, we found a new natural doctor uh, in Cambridge, and uh, you know I really like this guy. He talked to me and learned all about me and spent time looking at me instead of a clipboard. And I was able to ask him about marijuana. I was reading a lot in the news, uh, and I really wanted to understand more. And he told me, uh, Michael, it's not what you think, and I think that you could be a good candidate for that. And he told me that it's, it's, uh, he'd rather me take that than any pharmaceutical drink coffee, I'd rather me not drink coffee or Tylenol, all those things, he said, are, uh, are, are, are not good for you. You know, but what so, you say is that's such, a, that's such an obstacle you hear from the medical profession, where even just recently I've heard from somebody who has been trying to get their card forever and their doctor was really not, not open to it. A law changed here to allow for chronic instead of severe pain, and now they're totally open, which is, it's, I think, a sad reflection on a lot of the medical establishment, not to knock doctors. Well, that might be time, too, though. you got to take time into consideration, because as more time goes past, doctors are getting more educated. You know, you got to look at what Sanjay Gupta is now saying in the public eye. So let's not be fooled by the fact that time, as time goes on, without anything, uh, doctors are starting to really understand that it's more about, you know, they understand that marijuana doesn't kill you. I think it's more about the fact that they're concerned about the image that it places on themselves and maybe the image of having to go in the dark alley and get marijuana. I mean, that's really what happened to me next. So, you know, here I am talking to the doctor. He says, Michael, I'd like you to try it. And I remember driving home with my wife. Uh, she was at the appointment with me, actually, which I think is funny, because how can I go home and tell my wife the doctor told me I could smoke marijuana? So it was really great that she came with me because, uh, <laughs> right. you know, I have kids and uh, yeah, I'm very professional. So I'm driving home, and, I, and we're thinking, we're brainstorming, where do we find this stuff? The doctor said the dispensaries weren't open yet. In fact, uh, one doctor, one, one place uh, told me to go get it on Craigslist. I didn't want to buy it huh. on Craigslist. Come on. So uh, I'd, lo I'd, love to, I'd love to see that doctor's prescription pad. I, uh, you know, go find, go find an eighth on Craigslist and call me in the morning. Well, you know, you know that's, uh, people get that advice still. So uh, I found a guy in town that looked a little bit, little, I found a friendly guy in town that looked like ZZ Top. And before you know it, he introduced me to someone, and, and there I am in the back alley doing, doing a deal with someone I didn't know, uh, and had a lot of money, and uh, he had a bag of, of weed, and uh, you know he, he gave it to me, and I gave him my cash, and I, I started asking him questions. Like, uh, you know, I'd done some research, and I was nervous, Eli. I said things like, uh, well, how much THC is in it? 
he looked at me a little funny, and I said, uh, well, where was it grown? What strain is this? Has it been decarboxylated? Mm, yeah, you, <laughs> re- you, were, you really were getting into the thinking. research, yeah. Right, right, right. And um, you know, he didn't like those questions. He pulled away from me. And I was like, no, it's taking me so long. I had to tell him the whole story about my wife and, you know, the, the, my, the doctor. He, he laughed at me. Uh, but eventually, he and I became good friends, and, and he rolled me a joint. And I took it home uh, in the car, and my car reeked of weed so bad. <laughs> I mean, it was just, I had a bad inspection sticker. I was so nervous about being pulled over. I mean, I'm doing everything right. Right. You know, the doctor told me to smoke my medicine. So I go home. And I uh, send my kids to bed. I'm all set up. Like a, I'm outside in the patio with my wife, and I light up for the first time in my life. And I did not like the experience. My heart started racing. I was so I had a, like, a full-on panic attack. I thought I was dying. Uh, I was probably so nervous about that deal, buying this stuff from this guy. Uh, worried about things like is there uh, uh, is there something. Um, uh, is the marijuana going to interact with some other drug that I'm taking? Sure. Uh, you know, for about 20 minutes, I was just contemplating my life. I was telling my wife things like the account passwords and how to shut the heat off. Should we call the police? Oh, my God. I was so oh, I was not liking this at all. Yeah. And you probably uh, also weren't somebody who was who was used to smoking generally, right? No, I mean, you're not a cigarette no. smoker. And even, even that act of just lighting and smoking and inhaling is something that you're conditioned to think is, is bad. And, and it looked ridiculous. I, my eyes were had tears. It's like, whew. Now, uh, of course, I couldn't. I didn't die. Uh, if I did, I'm back. I'm in heaven now. Because, <laughs> uh, <laughs> right? Because, but, you know, I said to my wife, I could not wait to go back to that doctor and tell him you damn near killed me. And that's just what I did. I went in there and I told him the story. And, and you know, he, uh, he, he he chuckled a little bit when I told him the story. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 you know, I, I felt like he uh, he said, well, listen, no one ever died from marijuana. And I'm really sorry about your experience. And actually, he said, Michael, this is quite common. Many people, the first time they smoke, have uh, either a bad experience or sometimes no experience. And I was like, huh. And then he said, uh, vaporizing may be better for you. And I'd never heard that word, really. I mean, uh, Vaporizing so, sounds like something that, you know, uh, Captain Picard does to the, to the bad guys in Star Trek, you know? Yes. But you <laughs> want to know something interesting. He would not let me quit. He said, he leaned into me. He said, Michael, don't quit. This is like someone saying, don't quit smoking. Michael, learn about vaporizers. Learn about, this is not what you think. I want you to try again. And uh, uh, read about someone named Dr. Grinspoon. He, he could tell I needed to know more. And uh, like Dr. Grinspoon. So he showed me. He even had Dr. Grinspoon's book on his bookcase. So and I go home with this newfound interest of, uh, you know, Dr. says, try it again. Learn about vaporizers. Who's this guy named Grinspoon? So I, uh, I get, so I just come in with this newfound interest. I, at this point, I'm... Uh, I'm kind of out of a job now, and I'm, the doctor's telling me to use this stuff, and I decide to start buying and acquiring vaporizers and taking them apart, learning how they work. I got a license to grow marijuana. I started, set up a little lab with special LED lighting and filtration. I learned about the differences of different types of growing media, trichome measurement. I mean, I'm a scientist. I got into it so much. I was going to say, I can just imagine how deep you were you were diving into this, and well, and how much it must have appealed to you as somebody who likes to explore and learn on their own. That here's this whole thing where there's not this established information, and there's there's some there's old grow books, and there's people you can talk to. But you know that challenge, it sounds like, really appealed to you as far as the education. Yes, and I wanted to let what I was reading match up with my experience. Think about that. How many times do you like read something and you're like so disappointed you can't get it? Like for example, maybe the Cannabis Cup winner. Yeah. Like that winning strain. Oh man, I wish I could get that. And so, you know, I had really over the course of like a year had developed my own vaporizer that was in parts all across like a, a bench in my basement. It was at the point where there was a computer connected to it, a pump, all these tubes, and then a receptacle for a pod. And then I also took what I grew. I, I went out and got a special strain, and I grew that uh, myself. I learned all about the proper way to grow and things like uh, trichomes and things like the, the right types of nutrients, good ways to grow, bad ways to grow, what medium to use, all that stuff I learned. I made mistakes, too. I think learning mistakes are the important gems of learning. But basically, I got to this point where I, I finally got it working. Like I had a, 
I had, a, I could take marijuana and I could put it in this little metal pod and I could just put that in a machine and press a button on the computer and then in like two, two or three minutes later, it would uh, inflate a special uh, balloon that I could inhale. And since it did this through a computer, it repeated that process every time. And I remember this feeling of getting that experience for the first time, finally getting like this strain that I that I'd sought after. Uh, and I pressed a button in this machine that I developed and working over the course of a year. And I remember this feeling overcame me. Wow, this is amazing. And uh, I also had this certain rush of sadness because I was looking at this stuff and admiring my work, and I realized I'd made something for myself. Who else can have this? This is like building something awesome and no one will ever discover it. Yeah. You know that feeling? And, uh, but that's where marijuana comes in, you know? I was, but then I got happy again. I remember this sort of conscience that's on your shoulder. You know, there's a, there's a conscience that says to you when you have an idea, ah, it's a good idea, but that's probably been done before. Ah, get back to work. You'll never do that. Or, ah, your wife would never let you do that. Right. Or even, or even, that's a huge project. You could, I mean, we, it's just beyond fathomable, right? All those things went over me in a, in a rush of a moment. But then this other side of my conscious came in and says, damn, damn you, this is a good idea. You're feeling great. I think you should do something. Remember what that guy said about Dr. Grinspoon. So I went online and started researching this guy, Grinspoon. And when I learned about marijuana, he gave me the missing pieces. I thought, oh my goodness, I got to call this guy. So you know, you can find people. Dr. Grinspoon is this famous Harvard medical professor, and I call him the father of the, of the medical marijuana movement. Back in 1967, he was friends with Carl Sagan, a famous astrophysicist. A big, big proponent of cannabis as well, right? That's true. A lot of people don't know that. So Carl Sagan has been using marijuana since the 30s, uh, since he was 30, and, and, and very good friends with Lester, who is a uh, very well uh, very well known and respected Harvard medical professor of psychiatry. So in 1967, uh, he's friends with Carl and uh, really concerned that Carl was smoking marijuana. And I remember that Lester would tell me, and I read this book too, that you know, how, how concerned he was that marijuana was going to hurt him. Reefer Madness was, was a movie at the time. And so Lester set out to write a book to educate people how dangerous marijuana was. There was no literary, there was so, no such literature at the time, I guess. And the first three chapters are about his uh, journey to sort of uh, prove to the world how dangerous it was. But the remaining chapters, the rest of the book, the full, pretty much rest of the book is devoted to, oh my goodness, this is not dangerous, like we said. We've created a, a culture of, of, uh, of people who are criminals, and, and we really need to fix this. So the book is an incredible piece of work. It's called Marijuana Reconsidered. And uh, here I am reading about this man and all about the powers of marijuana. And I just could not believe it. So I had this idea. What if I could call Mr. Grinstone? What if I could ask him if this had been done before? Maybe he would know. You know, he's, he's connected to normal. He's got a video about him and a Wikipedia page. I don't know. Something about me felt like he would talk to me. He was a local Harvard guy. Right. Yeah, and Cambridge. Lot going, lot going on in Cambridge. <laughs> right, right. I was just had a friendly face. I don't know why. I just felt inspired. So, you know, you can find people. I looked him up. I got his Wikipedia page, and I started emailing him. I found a phone number. I called him. But, you know, he didn't call me back. He's probably tough to get a hold of, I guess. But uh, I remember about three months went by, and I'd been calling him, and I, I kind of gave up. And then one day, I got this phone call. I was shopping at the grocery store with my wife. I was unemployed now, and my wife is now working at a grocery store. I went from being a VP at a big billion-dollar software company to now uh, unemployed, uh, using marijuana with this idea and it's going nowhere. And then I get this call from this old man and it just happens to be Mr. Grinspoon. And the first thing he says to me, he says, Michael, uh, I was so excited he called. I, and I said, I'm so grateful that you called Mr. Grinspoon. This is fantastic. He says, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, listen, you got to stop calling me. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I said, okay, I'm really sorry about that. He said, well, listen, I'm going to give you a few minutes to tell me what your invention is. I don't help people with this. I'm very busy, he says. And, you know, I don't, I'm really discouraged, he said, what he's been seeing in the industry with the, the oil pens and the yeah. other products. You know, he's, he's big on herbal marijuana. I remember him saying to me, 
herbal marijuana is the gold standard. So it didn't take me long to tell him what my invention was. It was really, I really kind of described it like a curing machine. I said, do you have a curing machine? He says, oh yeah, I've got one. I like one of those. I, I love that. My wife and I, he told me all about how much he likes that. And I said, well, imagine if you could have marijuana in a K-cup, but instead of making a cup of coffee, it's making the perfect vape. And it was computer controlled and you could, you know, just wouldn't, wouldn't have to grind marijuana. wouldn't have to, to touch it. You could just put it in the machine and press a button. And, you know, he paused for a moment and said, now that is a good idea. <laughs> and uh, Talk about validation. Know, it was huge validation. I, I said, uh, well, and the more he thought about it, he said, now, you know, Michael, that is a really good idea. I've not seen anything like that. He said, could you bring that to my office? I'd like to, to try that. And <laughs> all I could think about in my mind was my messy bench down at the, the, in the basement and all the wires and plugs. I could never bring that to Mr. Grinspoon. Uh, but I said, yes, I took a chance. This is what I want people to learn. You got to put it out there, right? And I knew that I could quickly create some kind of a prototype that would be useful to bring to Mr. Grinspoon, right? And so I told him uh, I would bring it to him. I made arrangements for that. I went to my wife and I rushed over to her in aisle seven. I said, you never guess who called me. And she's the one who said, that's great, but how are you going to make one? And I thought about that. I, I hadn't, uh, maybe I hadn't put too much planning. But I went to a machine shop I went at, I worked at 30 years ago. And I went in there and I told them what I was doing. And I asked them if they would help me make this. I asked them if I could run the old blades and the mills like I used to years ago to make a prototype system for Mr. Grinspoon. And lo and behold, they said yes. They said they, they didn't mind that. And, and again, this is the part about being kind and, and, and uh, asking others to help you, you know, with a good idea. Uh, they said yes, and so here I am in the machine shop that I worked at many years ago, turning parts on a lathe, making the very first can of cup that I'm going to bring to Mr. Grinspoon. And everybody loves this story that I'm telling them, of course. Um, and uh, interestingly enough, as I'm making all these parts, you know, a lot of times in the machine shop, you need to get a tool, a drill, a part that you can't find. And so I would go over and I'd you know, ask another person I didn't know, uh, hey, do you know where this is? You know what that is? And uh, I got to know these people. They they introduced themselves. And when I told them I was making this thing for for marijuana, they loved it. And they started asking if they could help. And they started making parts. I mean, mm -hmm. it was just an incredible thing. I mean, it was just all these people just loved what we were doing. And, and so in, a, in about a couple of months, I was able to, actually about a month, I was able to make a prototype and I bring it to Mr. Grinspoon. You still with me? Oh, yeah, absolutely. On the edge so of my seat. This is great. Grinspoon, and I'm, I'm nervous, actually, and uh, I'm at his house, and I've got this box, and I've got this machine I've built, and uh, first thing I remember asking him is to show me how he uses marijuana, and so he pulls out a tray, and he's got a brush and a cleaner and all this apparatus, and he's going to grind marijuana and put it in his volcano vaporizer. Okay. I'm glad you mentioned right? Yeah. And so I'm doing research. This is what I told you earlier. you got to watch what people do. And so he showed me how he, so the first thing he does is he opens up his drawer, his desk drawer, and uh, I see all kinds of marijuana uh, inside there as far as like different strains and boxes with uh, interesting labels on them from different parts of the world. How surreal, how surreal is this scene, by the way, to be speaking with a, you know, septuagenarian, oct octogenarian, one of the most highly respected psychi you know, um, was, psychology professors, and he's just pulling out all these different bags of weed in his presumably cluttered and, um, you know, amazing office? Well, it's interesting. Uh, I, I, at the time, I, I had very little marijuana. I was, uh, I'd been growing it, but I'd been, um, you know, I'd, I'd uh, I hadn't seen or tried a lot of different strains and varieties. So when he opened up this this drawer, I said to him, Mr. Grinspoon, where did you get all this marijuana? <laughs> and he leaned back in his chair and he says, oh, Michael, I haven't bought any marijuana since the 1970s. Uh, <laughs> people people mail it to me, he says. They, they put it in a box and then I, I get it this way. And I was like, wow. And he said, well, he kind of, you know, cherishingly said, so what will it be? And I, I looked down and I saw the first thing. I said, well, I guess I'll have Bubba Kush. And he says, okay. So I watched this 80-year-old uh, man grind marijuana. I mean, it was uh, it took seven minutes to, to separate the, the sticks and the seeds, if there were any, you know, grind it and you know, clean it up and get it all loaded into this little, uh, little vessel for his volcano. 
I remember he was just about to press the button and I looked at my watch. I said, okay, stop. I said, uh, that was seven minutes. And I made him put the tray away and I said, okay, I want you to compare that to this. So I put this machine on his lap and uh, I handed him this, uh, the product. And so at the time, I built a prototype looking package for my product because I like I think the best way to test something is to give it to an older person. Yeah. So I'd made like a fake name. I'd put a UPC symbol on it. I even put, you know, how much THC and CBDs were on the back. It was all make-believe, but, you know, he doesn't know that. Right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so, I, so, I, so, he, so he, I hand him the package, and he looks at it, smiles. He opens it up. He had a little trouble opening up. It's something I took note of. But he was able to take the pod and put, he, put, he had this machine in front of him and he was able to kind of open up a little compartment and slide the pod in. And then he uh, closed it and he looked at me and he said, well, okay, Michael, where do I put the marijuana? I said, no, Mr. Grinspoon, the marijuana is already in there. So he didn't even understand that. And then, so he presses the button and in like a minute we're, we're vaporizing. And uh, 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 so... We're vaporizing, and then we're it inflate, this unit inflated a, a, a bag, and um, literally just in a minute we're vaporizing together. And I remember him leaning back in his chair. And we're both enjoying this, this moment together because I'm getting high with this famous man, Mr. <laughs> yeah. I, even I don't even realize how big how how important this is, but I felt great. That was like a surreal moment for me. And then he leans back in his chair after doing this, and he says to me, Michael. I am so happy that you called me all those times, that you reached out and you, you pushed through. This is an amazing product, and this is going to save a lot of people. I am so thrilled. Wow. He just said all those things to me, and he was going on and on and on about how he's going to introduce me to this person, and we're going to save the world. And I mean, it was very, very great. And, and I started to, I mean, I was loving it, of course. Uh, yeah. It's a commercial in my mind. But, you know, I started to feel a little bad after a while. I realized that uh, he um, thinks that this is a product that he could go buy now. He, you know, maybe he missed the point or I didn't tell him. It was a prototype. It was a one of a kind. Yeah. So I was letting him go on because it was great. But at some point I had to break it to him. And that's when I did. And, uh, he, you know, I said, Mr. Grinspoon, this is a one of a kind. And... Uh, he didn't like that, actually. <laughs> he said, uh, oh, Michael, I'm so disappointed. Oh, you mean this isn't, this? I can't buy this? This is like, oh, you know, how are we going to do this? This is this is a huge project. I don't have any manufacturing experience, no money. You know, I think he, he saw it as a goner. And I was kind of bummed out, too. Um, but in that moment, we were high, right? And I said to him, would you be my advisor? You know, would you, could I put this story and your picture on my website when I create one? And I think that I could influence the next person to take it, to pay attention about this project and help me with it if you just be my advisor. And he said, yes, of course. And that's exactly what it did. I used him uh, and, and that story and, and his, uh, his great uh, uh, sort of gift to the world with his books to educate others and help them help me in this project. So after uh, meeting Mr. Grinspoon and getting that sort of great uh, uh, ability to, to say that he's one of our uh, advisors and friends, it allowed me to attract uh, the, all the people I've got in my company, including wow. the Curie guys. So this well, is like yeah. an incredible part of the story where you know uh, Mr. Grinspoon himself is saying that he really likes vaporizing, but he thinks the, it's too difficult to use. And so that's where this machine really comes into play. And just to sort of finish the story out, I remember leaving him with the machine for three days. I left him three pods, and he was to call me three days later. I made a little joke about it. Call me, take, take, take three pods and call me in a few days. Um, he called me a few days later, and he said, Michael, I loved this. This was terrific. So he's been a friend of ours ever since, and he's, I, I just saw him last week, and uh, he's, uh, he's been advising us on to stay with natural ground herbal marijuana. Well, that's he taught us that herbal marijuana is the gold standard, and that when you turn it into an oil, you're sort of taking some of the, the ability for the medicine to do its job out. Hmm. Maybe we can talk about that. Well, I think you know what's what's so interesting about this origin story and and your story and your experiences. This is coming from actual experience. I think a lot of people have this misperception 
they hear about Canacorp, you know, they hear about the Canacloud and say, oh, weed in a K-cup. Why didn't I think of that? You know, oh, somebody just, you know, the Keurigification, I think, was one of those early, you know, articles that had come out covering it. Whereas for you, it was really born out of a personal, you know, it was born out of practicality and solving the issues of somebody else who you admired, who you could sit there and see, you know, Dr. Grinspoon, who's probably, you know, smoked more pot than any the rest of us will and probably better pot than most of us who still all these years later could have the process improved and simplified. Well, that's true. I mean, Mr. Grinspoon told me something way back then that he had a strain named after him. Can you imagine that? He's got a strain. There's a strain out there called Dr. Grinspoon. And then he chuckled. He says, you know, I've never actually tried it. And I thought, oh, wait a minute. Isn't that kind of sad? There's something out there, a product that you can't get. And to me, that just, that just racks my brain. And that's what I want to change in this industry. If I believe that we can package marijuana professionally, we can bring it to more people, and we can start to bring brand selection and quality to the marketplace, where I'm not sure there is necessarily you know, quality everywhere. I know there's lots of places to get quality, but it seems like you have to know someone and be kind of a connoisseur. But I, I think everybody could, uh, could get the benefits of, of marijuana. And you know, when the laws change and when people see uh, and want to use marijuana and follow their their guidelines to their doctor, uh, they can use this product because it's not smoking. Well, I think it's different, and I and I think that's something else that's really, you know, everybody the the idea of accessibility, you know, like you yeah. said, and that everybody should have access to this and and to the information, you know, I mean, without having to go to the back alley and have that experience, and maybe they don't have the same medical professional you had that can give them this, you know, reassurance to keep trying this and. And keep trying it, or they don't have access to the technology or the right well, actually, strains. Well, actually, I find out. I talk to a lot of people. I, I like to talk to people, and I always get to this point of asking them when they use marijuana, what did they do? And I find that everybody, maybe they didn't have a doctor, but they had a friend. They had someone guiding them. You know, it's not really someone that takes marijuana for the first time and doesn't does it all by themselves. Right. There's there's someone involved, uh, and whether it's a doctor or a friend, I mean, it's I, I think it's important that before people use this stuff, they understand uh, how to use it properly. And that's another thing I think that my product will bring is, uh, is, is, is these strains and blends and also potency and dose. Well, and that's, that's the other thing I mean, really important. that I think is really, is really important for people to, to understand as well. And which I think is a great part of your story is that you're coming from a place of having, having grown it yourself, having that reverence for the plant, thinking that, the plant in its herbal, most natural form is the best, most healthiest, you know, um, way to consume. And because I think a lot of people have this perception that this technology is is getting getting too far away from the roots, right? Getting too far away from the actual experience. Where you're saying, no, I want to take all of those wonderful wonderful things about the plant and eliminate any of the anxiety or any of the error, you know, and say that this plant is is amazing. And we've taken these blends together carefully and decided yeah. that they can do one thing or, you know, help you out in, in one way or another or multiple ways. And this is just an easier way to do it, you know. So it's really, I think that's what's beautiful about it. And one of the most misunderstood parts is that there is this respect for, for the plant and for the herb. And it's out of that love and respect that you want to make the process easy, repeatable, and accessible for people who maybe don't have that friend or weren't able to find that ZZ Top looking guy who, you know, who was able to educate him. You know, one of my favorite vaporizer experiences, and I'm sure some of your readers and listeners would know about the volcano. It's a really a beautiful uh, experience you get because it's, it's just, it's naturally vaporizing the marijuana and it produces a very uh, high quality product. Uh, the problem with the volcano, it's very difficult to use. It can be dangerous and unsafe because there's hot metal components at the top. And it really leaves the consumer with having to guess how to set these, how to set, it's got dials on it and buttons and switches, and it doesn't necessarily come with a manual. So you're really just, it's like someone giving you an airplane and saying, hey, go fly it. Well, and I'll tell you, uh, I mean, I had I had a volcano my, myself, and, you know, even using it with some experienced friends, sorry, there's a weed whacker outside my window right now, um, even using it with experienced friends who knew about cannabis, you didn't know, okay, what's the right temperature for this strain? You know, how much is how much is enough for three people? How much is enough for just me? You know, you can kind of estimate and well, looking in that, that little out. metal basket they have. 
that's but, what we're going to deliver with this product. Is that you know, if you're familiar with the volcano sort of vaporization experience, imagine that quality in a, in a smaller size. It's easy to use and at, at the push of a button. Uh, and that's really what we're we're trying to deliver. Um, it won't be as uh, uh, as harsh uh, as, uh, as as some of the people push the volcano to very high temperatures. Yeah, we really like to deliver on something that Brinspoon taught me called the ensemble effect, which is where you're getting the whole plant, you're getting the THC and the CBD in its natural uh, ratios, and it's really what Mother Nature intended. You know, you could you could turn marijuana into an oil and a wax and all these other products, but when you do that, you have to heat it, and when you heat it, you're starting to cook it and change the way its makeup and compounds are. But what we've done is we've just let marijuana cure, naturally dry marijuana that's been cured and grown properly. We just uh, package it up and grind it and put it in this uh, special uh, pod. It's a number of pieces of uh, layered filtering, filters inside there. And then we vaporize it. So we turn it into an oil vapor right from the flower instead of having to have an industry turn it into oil first. Sometimes yeah. I look at these pens and I laugh a little bit because they've gone all the way around the world just to produce vapor again. I mean, they've gone and made these expensive machines uh, doing things like with butane and, and air and compression. I mean, a tremendous amount of technology. And, you know, people like that. I don't want to necessarily down that industry, uh, but that's what they do for edibles and infused products. But I believe that when people try our product, they'll, they really get what we're doing here. It's a much better experience. It's different. It's not smoking. And it's pure natural vaporization. And it does include the whole plant. And I think there's a lot more that we're going to learn about marijuana over the years. And I believe that Mother Nature never kills. Mother Nature is, I really believe what Grinspoon's uh, been preaching in his books. Well, and I think, you know, I think that's, it's, it's great to hear, Michael. And I want to ask about the, the first question that anybody asks is about the, the pods themselves. You know, you mentioned how things going around the world to, to get vapor and, um, you know, the easy knock on the product is saying, well, why, why have this, this extra step? I mean, it, it makes sense to have, you're making it that much more easy by having, having these pods. So from a consumer standpoint, it makes perfect sense. But the question that I'm sure you're asked all the time is how, you know, how sustainable is this? Why are we just going to create more plastic? You know, that if, if we're, if we're into natural healing and, and mother earth, are, um, why are we creating more waste? Well, it's something we're not going to be doing. It's, uh, you know, I love my Keurig pods. I, I don't like the fact that they, uh, they, there is a report out there um, that they're not good for the planet. So when we started our company, and this gets back to doing presentations, you know, I started showing people my product and showing what it would look like at a prototype stage, and almost everybody said the same thing. Are you going to hurt the planet? I care about the planet. I don't want you to throw these things in the trash. So since day one, we've been thinking about that, and we planned – and we had made pods out of a recyclable material. They're made out of aluminum. Uh, and they're totally safe. And they will be safe. And they're, something about aluminum, which is amazing, is it has a very, very high, up to like 90%, really even higher than that, uh, uh, recycling ability. So by making them out of aluminum allows us to have them. It allows for a number of things. First of all, it keeps the light out and it keeps the air out. Now, the marijuana that's packed in these pods doesn't have any air or light, nothing to ruin it. Hmm. Um, and so that's really important. You can't do that with plastic. And I'm sure that's a big. I'm sure that's a big draw for the growers that you're working with, and for the for the connoisseurs who you know. Every time you every time you move something, you're shaking trichromes off, right? And every time you have more light exposed and and air. So I'm sure that the growers like that aspect of it as well. Well, our system is actually we have a piece of equipment called Canomatic. We sell that to the growers, and that allows the growers to package marijuana into these pods. So they won't be packaged necessarily at the dispensary. It's wherever it's being grown. And that is the way, right way to ensure that it's very fresh. Uh, and we also, um, you know, we're not just letting anybody grow marijuana and put it in these pods. We build these partnerships with these uh, licensed cultivators. And we have a standard operating procedure um, that is uh, that we, we hold all growers to. I mean, these are things that growers are doing and always want to be doing. But, you know, we're writing the standards to have sort of a national standard that says this is how we view marijuana to be grown. Marijuana, there are ways to grow marijuana the wrong way, you know, and we want to make sure that our, our consumers um, really trust our brand. Uh, in fact, we're going to be doing sort of a co-branded opportunity on these pods. So not only will the Canacorp need be there for trust and reliability, but the name of the grower. You know, I've met so many growers. Growers are wonderful people, really. 
they are working incredibly hard to build to grow really great high quality medicine and if there was a better way to do it they'd be researching it and doing it but i feel sometimes they don't really get the brand recognition they deserve i think it goes to the dispensary maybe sometimes on a courier truck and there's no name no brand and no grower's name anywhere on there right i mean let's so, say you make a let's say you make a famous strain maybe sometimes somebody's heard of that strain but nobody's ever heard of you know, Joe from Sacramento, who is the person who crossed these. I mean, DJ Short's probably the only grower who I could name or, or would name publicly, you know, right. who's known for genetics and breeding. Well, when I started this business, I thought, what, you know, I, I, I just, if we were going to push the reset button and, and retool ourselves for marijuana, how would we set that up? And I just thought that, you know, having these growers is really the right place to put our product. And so, uh, this gives the grower the ability to package um, and control the quality, and that's something that's really important to us. So, you know, when I talk about a standard operating procedure, I could talk endlessly about, you know, the kind of things that Canacorp cares about, and that's one thing that, uh, you know, is going to be really important as we go forward because there's mainstream people that are going to come into this marketplace. They're going to want to use marijuana, and they're not, and they're just going to want to trust it. They're not going to want to ask questions like, has this been decarboxylated? How much THC is in here? How much CBD? I mean, we got to move beyond some of those terms and move towards like, uh, you know, a label that's responsibly telling the consumer what's in there and then the consumer trusts it. Uh, and, you know, not all these dangers that, that I might see of what's not in marijuana, but actually what's in it. Uh, so, the, you know, we, we believe that we'll get there one day, but the Canacorp is positioned to, to work with the licensed cultivators um, and we're working within the laws of the, uh, of the of the labeling standards. But, you know, as Canacorp, uh, positions itself and we become more of a brand, you know, I believe we can also shape the industry um, and improve labeling because people just want to know what they're getting and they want to trust it. When you go to the grocery store, are you always looking at the labels? Do you feel like anything in that store could kill you? You know, here in Vermont, we have uh, we, GMO labeling has actually been a huge issue for us where we're, we're a state that's leading that fight to force companies to label if their food includes GMOs. So I think that's something that really resonates with people is that they are now demanding more information about where did this come from, what's in it, you know, right. but not yeah. having to necessarily be a, a food scientist to understand that, you know, you don't need to know what saccharin is to know if it's, if it's, um, if it's good or bad for you, right? Or, or kind of, that's true. if and it's I, natural I or not. There's a lot of education and I'm still learning. So, you know, I'm no expert, but if I learn that there's a better way to do it, and there's higher quality out there. I want to learn and I want to listen and I want to bring it to my product. Well, I so think what's interesting about the you know being a startup in this industry is that the, the industry is itself not going to give you an instruction manual. You got to figure this out as you go and uh, meeting good people like yourself and learning and and uh, you know trying to to uh, to, to really uh, put in. I'm truly really just trying to put a new image to marijuana too. You know that's why the unit looks the way it does. That's the reason why it's white and clean looking. Um, you know that's the reason why there's no need to clean it later. It's actually dishwasher safe. Uh, and that, you know, another thing is the price, you know, price is a feature, right? I would be hurting, um, all those things that I just told you about the product. If I made it a $2,000 vaporizer. Right. I mean, I think, I, I think, you know, volcanoes run a couple, you know, 250, 300 bucks at the, at the cheapest. $500. $500. Yeah. If you're going to get a new oh, one okay. and yeah. So we and, priced ours at, uh, you know, the retail price, adjusted retail price would be $150. Wow. Um, you know, we're, we're not there to make money uh, on, on consumers this way. Uh, we believe that uh, with the pods or the economics here, it's a good business. And we're also going to price those pods at a reasonable price. You know, we're going to set them according to the industry. So as marijuana prices evolve and either drop, uh, you know, can of cups will be rightly priced. It's, not, it's going to be a good value. And also we'll be able to bring something that the industry doesn't have, which is selection. Remember I mentioned this uh, cannabis cup winner. Yeah. You know, at the New England convention uh, we were just at, uh, I had a lot of people come up to the booth that we were at. We had a, a demo of the can of cloud there with the can of cups, and people would always ask me the price at the end of the demo. It's like, you know, they had plenty of time to ask me before, but for some reason, people ask the price at the end, and, and I think they're convinced. And I always like to ask them before they, I tell them, well, what do you think it's worth? And people would tell me things like the vaporizer, they think it should be $300, $500, one guy said $2,000. So I love saying $150. And they, they you know, their, their eyebrows go up. You know, they, they're interested at that point a lot because it's consumer friendly for the pricing. But then they ask about the pods. And, you know, the pods are going to be anywhere from like $5, but they could be even more. I, I asked one guy, let's say there was a cannabis cup winner in here. 
right? How much would you pay for that? He says, I might pay 20 bucks for that. Uh, you know, I thought that was very interesting. Hmm. So I think there's, I think there's potential to have, um, you know, pr- ponds that are better priced uh, per the strain and blend that are in there, as well as the potency. Mm-hmm. You know, we have the ability to put less in the pod and more in the pod, so we'll be able to have like dosage amounts. But that's for, the but that's for, the other thing I think is really is really interesting, and that I don't want to I, I don't want to neglect to mention is that the question of dosing and how much do I smoke? You know, your doctor is not going to prescribe you. All right, go smoke a go smoke a half a joint. All right, well, how big is a joint? How much is in a joint? You know, go right. Go take. Most people aren't going to weigh out. All right, point six grams of this percentage. You guys are taking all of that out of the equation, which I think is even better for medical and people who are less familiar. That the dosage. Well, here's what I think about dose, Eli. Yeah. The more I, I think, what's really imp- dose is really important, but there's another attribute that needs to be measured after that, which is consistency. Hmm. Right. So, so, what good is dose if you can't get that dose the next day? Right. right. So go to go to go to a dispensary. And then go get different marijuanas, and, and you know you're going to be able to get the exact amount of THC and CBD every time. Uh, you know this is a natural product too, and Mother Nature doesn't work that way. She comes in different shapes and sizes and different THC. So, you know we're going to uh, create a. Um, it's really cool. We're going to create this sort of easy way for people to select the different types of marijuanas that are out there. You know, from cushions to the various different types of strains and, and dimensions that people pick marijuana from. Things like uh, sativas and indicas. Yeah. And we want to try to break those that language down so the users don't have to, I mean, I'm sorry, the patients don't need to sort of understand uh, all this. We want to sort of normalize these descriptions. So you won't go to the store and find a can of cup with Girl Scout cookie on the label. You know, we won't use names of strains that are, uh, you know, they're off-putting. And we really want to try to, to also provide dosage. So it's about being consistent. So in other words, if you go to the dispensary, you buy a can of cup in the future, and let's say it's a 0.25 milligram and you've taken this one, it's called Remedy. You can go back the next day and buy Remedy again at that size, and you can get it again and again and again. That is really important. And when I think about dosage, you know, it's dosage is nothing if you can't get the, the, up the next amount again. And that's why I think dosage and oil pens have really, you know, there's a lot of association there because the oil pens provide you sort of more consistency because you have the same number of, well, you know, you're using oil now. It's, it's, it's sure. uh, been turned into another substance, like a, an aspirin is, is not a natural product. It was turned into that. So I look at the oils like an aspirin. Uh, well, Mother Nature is, you know, what we're putting is ground flour in the pot. So what's important for us is to put the, the right strain and blend in there consistently every time and to put the right, uh, uh, and also to have it all tested. So on the back of every package, we'll tell you how much THC and CBD is in there, and we're going to work to to, to provide that to be uh, a level of accuracy. So you'll be able to go get a 0.25 milligram pod and a remedy, which would have a sativa or an indica in it. You would know what that is, and when you want that again for the next day, you'll be able to get it again and again and again. I think that's a really important part of the dosage that doctors care about. They want to see that you get into a into a pattern. That works really well. You notice when you work with your doctor, they're giving you a little bit of medication first, and they're asking you questions, and they're seeing are you able to to use this properly. And you know, over the course of three, four months, you'll notice you get fixed into a pattern of, of amounts of pills or, or or whatever it might be that you're working with the doctor on. To me, this is like figuring out your pattern. And you know, you heard a big buzzword in the industry now uh, for medicine is uh, is personalized medicine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, concierge, concierge medicine, personalized. Yeah, definitely. personalized medicine is just. Uh, you know, I, I've seen all kinds of apps for people keeping journals of when they use uh, you know, medicines and even marijuana. I think this is the user, the patients, taking in more control of their own lives and incorporating wellness uh, with mar- along with marijuana to to really augment their life. And that's how I guess I you say I'm using it. It's my job to be creative. And when I use marijuana, I, I, I don't become dumb. I don't, I don't, I don't become dysfunctional. I, 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 I transcend on all my ideas and I work on them. Uh, and I realize that may not be the, that may not be the same for everybody. But everybody, you know, uh, that wants to use marijuana should uh, work through a doctor and try to understand which strain and blend works best for them and to try vaporization. Because I think when you smoke it and when you use some of these other products, uh, at least if you don't know what you're doing, you can get yourself into some trouble, like I have. 
Well, and I, you know, I was actually, I was talking to one of my, one of my parents last night who she's, you know, she marched with, <laughs> she marched to, to DC. She was, um, you know, big, big sixties child. Um, and she's super, super not, uh, not a weed person. Um, you know, she tried it. She, she never liked it, but she's come back around where now with arthritis and thinking about some of these things, she's, she's becoming more open-minded. Um, and she's, boy, she'll be 70 in December. And we were talking about the can of cloud and she was saying, this, this seems like the thing for me. This is, if I'm going to come back in and try really? it, she hates smoke. Oh, yeah. Well, she, she hates smoke, wonderful. you know, hates it. Um, the edibles make her really nervous. You know, people have heard so many stories that for people who are new, who are encountering this for the first time or for the first time in a long time, there really is that, that intimidation factor. And so, like you said, having that consistency, that reliability, you can revere the plant without actually having to be comfortable buying it, grinding it, filling it, lighting it, and smoking it in a traditional way yourself, which is, I think, Absolutely. part of the brilliance. And, you know, it seems Absolutely. one thing that I, another thing that I really appreciate, we talk a lot on this podcast and just generally about not being afraid of the, the economic benefits that this can have, that cannabis can have in our region. I think it's, if people have their eyes open and see what's going on out west, and it's really going to explode once California moves forward in a big way. I mean, their their market's the size of some a lot of countries in the world. Um, but you guys are based here, and you're based here in New England. You're you're based in Massachusetts. Um, I think what's great is that this is the kind of product that brings more people on board. That's more accessible. That's more translatable. I want to know if you think, based on your experiences, if it's having a positive impact on the political discussion in Massachusetts and and even nationally being able to point out and say well you know this is a this is a different take on it well that's a good question uh, I don't know but I'm doing what I feel like I'm doing my part uh, who could ever know just exactly how things are going to go down even with the presidency but but you know I just feel in my heart that everybody I've met that's on the side of marijuana is a friend of mine uh, they're just people that are so friendly, so helpful, and uh, you know I had the wrong idea about people. And you know I, I as you know this this man that I bought marijuana from, I mean he, he's really my friend, and he, he helped me at a difficult time when a doctor would even talk to me. Right, my my original doctor shut me out, and uh, I think we could change that dynamic. But I also don't want to say. I mean, everybody's friendly. Uh, the, the everybody I've met in this industry has been friendly, professional. But I, I do think there's something unique about New England, especially Boston. I mean, we are the medical research capital of the world, if you ask me. And I think that we really ought to embrace marijuana and look at it head on for the rest of the world. If you look at Israel, for example, they're doing this and enjoying the benefits of, of the world-renowned research that they're doing. They're probably light years ahead of us. But uh, I think we can catch up. And I, I also don't think it's a competition. I think cannabis is, is, is something that I think... Uh, will be highly researched and highly uh, educated in the future. I really do believe that, and I'm really excited to be able to help, uh, help people see that in a new light. Um, but we have a long way to go. And uh, so the way I'm helping, the way I'm influencing, is I've, I've been a friend. I've, I've met all kinds of people, um, like, for example, the Massachusetts Patient Advisory Council. These are a good group of people who are very compassionate about marijuana, and they are helping dispensaries open up. You know, when a dispensary wants to open up, there's a whole bunch of people that are going to come and visit and say no, without even knowing sometimes. And these people have legitimate concerns, actually. And uh, this uh, patient advisory council comes in there with really, really good information, and they educate, and many times they help get those dispensaries open, and they help get the right information in the hands of the, of the voters. And oftentimes the voters feel very good about the way it's been implemented. For example, I recently went to a dispensary in Brookline, Massachusetts. This is a really, really nice part of Boston. Uh, a lot of affluent people there. It's a great place to shop. Hometown of JFK, and, of course. What, what's that? Birthplace of JFK, Brookline. Yeah. So, so um, there's a new dispensary that opened up there called uh, New England Treatment Access. They have a beautiful logo. And I remember trying to find this place. I could not find it. And I had to call a friend of mine. He says, oh, it's at the Brookline Savings Bank. I said, what? I'm standing right in front of that. He says, oh, no, go inside. I go inside, and there's the dispensary right inside the bank. There's no sign outside. And I saw the most beautiful, gorgeous, 
setup. I mean, they kept marijuana in the safe. They had these, you know, you know, it was set up just like the old-fashioned bank. And they had tellers, and you could go up there and ask questions. I'm telling you, Eli, it was beautiful. And there was no problems. I mean, there was nobody picketing outside. There was no, you couldn't smell anything. It was, it was just like every, just like any old day uh, in, in, old, in old-fashioned America. So I think that's really interesting. Uh, you know, these dispensaries in the beginning opened up. I don't think they caused problems. And eventually, I think that people start to see that uh, this isn't what we thought it was. Well, and I, I, hope it, I hope it happens for Massachusetts. But, you know, I think people uh, have a right to vote whether they want a dispensary or not in their neighborhood. I think that's, that's, that's fine and fair. Um, but I think uh, it's but I, what we're doing is we're going around and educating. And what I do is I actually join them. They go to, like I just recently came back from the Brookline Senior Center. And I gave a presentation about vaporizers, and I taught probably 30, 40 senior citizens all about, you know, uh, the effects of marijuana. There was a doctor there, Jordan Tischler, who gave a presentation on, uh, on, on you know, how uh, the medicine works. Uh, people got up there and gave uh, advocacy speeches about how marijuana saved their lives. You know, to have old people, older senior citizens, are most some of our most important people that we should be taking care of, it just really makes me happy to know that they'd listen. They'd invite us to listen, and, and we were able to give our education. And I, I think if we did that in more places, then we could help influence the law. So that's some of the things I'm trying to do. But, of course, I think uh, I'm just trying to do my part, build a great product, and I think the rest will fall into place. Well, I, 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 think, you, I think you're right, Michael, and I, I, I thank you for, for the time and, and for the inspiration and for all the great advice, but also, you know, for, for really taking that challenge and giving back to the community and the amount of education that you are doing and the amount of consciousness you're bringing, even the fact that this product exists, you know, it's reaching a whole other, and it's, it's transmitting information in a whole different way to different audiences. And I really, really think that's, uh, that's commendable. And, and I think it's great to get a little deeper and learn more about your story and, and really learn more about the values. And again, this, this sense of community, I think, is one of the biggest takeaways from anybody who's, that was my impression attending any can, I mean, since, since I've been doing this full time and, and talking with more people in the industry. And unfortunately, here in Vermont, everything is very, very underground, very quiet um, due to the legal structure and kind of the nature of how the people operating legally um you know collaborate well, with people listening to this podcast can change that right well that's that's exactly the idea uh, michael you know our our saying here is uh, is elevate the state and it's not yeah. a it's not about getting high it's about getting everybody getting everybody moving moving forward together you know as far as the education and uh and the access and you know eventually eventually the the physical effects as well if that's what they choose so we really we really do appreciate it and I'm, I'm so excited to uh to have gotten so much time with you i know how valuable your time is and how much you have going on so really well, excited you, to, to learn more pleasure. about the yeah well michael this is great i will um i'll include some uh the now this video and some of this excellent coverage that you guys have have gotten here and point people back to uh the can of core and the can of cloud but like i said thank you again for uh for sharing the inspiration and, and the information and the motivation you know? You're welcome. Beautiful. Thank you. Michael, thank you very much. I look forward to talking to you soon. Wow. All right. That was a good one. Thank you again to Michael Bork and to Canacorp. Um, really interesting backstory, I think. You know, learning about him as an individual, very inspiring. What you can do with some self determination if you're willing to go out there, use technology, teach yourself. Put yourself in the right circumstances. Be willing to learn. I also really like this conversation because I think it's just a historical snapshot, especially if we look at where cannabis is in its own culture, right? The cannabis culture, the old school, the new school. I think it's all about the now school. Um, and these guys are very much now school as far as defining how things are going to play out. Uh, based on how things happen and what the reaction is. So this was cool to get some information out there to, to be a part of that history and talk with somebody who uh, is having a part in defining this. You know, and again, from the cannabis perspective, someone who has come in completely through the front door. It's not 30 years of growing underground or, or being a dealer or anything like that. It's somebody who's a, a scientific-minded, an inventor, who then encounters cannabis. So it makes me think, what happens when we really unleash the power of this plant? When we have even more people who are creative, who are in a professional field, who are artists, who are musicians, who are everything. If they haven't encountered cannabis yet, and they might, and they might produce something like this. 
you know, in any kind of field. It's really an amazing, amazing thought. Um, so please do stay tuned. We've got more good interviews and information on the way. It won't be nearly as long of a delay. Thank you again to Hedy Vermont. Check us out at www.hedyvermont.com. You'll see some great original content on there, especially the recent recap of Women Grow and the Hemp History Week. We're always looking for submissions, writers, contributors, so stay in touch. HeddyVermont.com, news at HeddyVermont.com. That's all for me, your host, Eli Harrington. Thank you again to our sponsors, contributors, listeners, and everyone else who's sharing the love. On behalf of all of us and all of you, elevate the state. Okay. Okay, so it's Vermont to want, what is it? Vermont to wanna elevate the state. Elevate the state. You got it. Ready? Yes. Three, two, one. Hey, it's Melissa Etheridge, and I've been talking to Vermont to wanna, and I'm telling you guys, elevate the state. Vermont to wanna, elevate the state. <laughs>